Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews for nearly 20 years now. You can find all of my written work at that website, Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. The Hateful Eight is the film I'm going to be reviewing. It's a Western primarily. It also contains mystery and thriller elements. It's rated R for a strong, bloody violence, a scene of violent sexual content, language, and some graphic nudity. The runtime, it really depends on which version you see because Quentin Tarantino is releasing the film around Christmas time. So uh, as of today, uh, this was the first day I was able to view it. Uh, it was uh, It's being released in what they call the Roadshow version, which is a 70 millimeter print that's out in about 100 or so theaters, I believe. Uh, and that that version, the version I saw today, runs three hours and seven minutes. Um, and that includes a an overture at the beginning of the film and also a an intermission a little bit past the halfway point of the film. Um, the version that's going to be released on New Year's Eve um, runs uh, an hour and 48 minutes, so about 20 minutes less, um, which is... Uh, there's a li- I from I haven't made the comparison. There, uh, there's a little bit more extra time to the actual content of the film, but um, most of the the 20 minute gap there is because of the uh, that overture at the beginning of the film, as well as that intermission. So, um, you know, depending on whether you want to stretch your legs in the middle of the film or not, I guess that will determine which one you want to see. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino is trying is paying homage to those old. Uh, films that lasted about three hours in the past where they did have an intermission. Uh, you know, intermissions are very uncommon nowadays. The cast, there's no real uh, star of the film, but I would say uh, in this order uh, is kind of the level of importance to the film. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, Bruce Dern, Tim Roth, Demian Bashir, Michael Madsen and Channing Tatum. Now there are some other people in the film. I know that uh, you're probably expecting that there are only eight people in the film. Um, there's actually more than that, um, and uh, they are listed at the beginning of the film. So I'm not really giving you spoilers here. Um, obviously, Quentin Tarantino, the writer and director. Um, it's his eighth film, and it's his second western in a row. Uh, his previous film was Django Unchained. I think that it's. Um, for for what it's worth, I'm I'm really torn about um, the hateful eight, and it's something that I I, I struggled with how I actually feel um, coming out of the film, and um, a lot of the the review you're going to hear today is me just wrangling over the movie, um, and I do intend on seeing it again at some point. But uh, so this review is after my first time watch. Uh, if I do watch it again and I feel differently, you may hear another review. We'll see. Whether it's worse or better, I don't know. But um, I do feel like I, I want to see that other version as well that I think most people will end up seeing. Um, but as of right now, my personal feelings on this movie is that it's probably going to go down as one of QT's middling works. And I think that Tarantino is not only still continuing to recycle bits and pieces from some of his favorite favorite filmmakers of yesteryear. And he's done this his entire career, basically. Um, now, this film uh, gets a lot of influence from traditional westerns, spaghetti westerns, 
There's even, uh, I think the basic plot premise is very similar to like an Agatha Christie murder mystery. If you've ever seen And Then There Were None uh, or one of those type of movies or per- perhaps read her books, uh, you will find some similarities here. Um, there's actually a lot of um, John Carpenter's 1982 classic The Thing um, and that included Kurt Russell in kind of a similar role here in that he believes that, uh, one of the people or more, uh, in, in the, of the hateful aid is not who he or she claims to be. So, uh, so that definitely echoes the John Carpenter film from 82. Um, but I would say in the hateful eight, one of the, the more troubling things about it, at least I find it troubling is that. Tarantino's also echoing elements of his own prior works as well. I mean, almost to the point of self-parody in a way, um, including his own Reservoir Dogs. There's elements of that in there. Django, of course, is in here. Uh, even some bits of Inglorious Bastards, some of that. It just feels like a lot of this stuff um, he's regurgitating. And as with all of his prior movies, um, there's a lot of murder, vengeance, Twisted Alliances, they're all in this movie. You know, the, the the main themes that you've come to know and love or know and loathe about Tarantino, they're all here, um, maybe even more uh, amplified. Uh, the film is set in a wintry Wyoming in the late 19th century, and the film starts off with ex-Union soldier turned bounty hunter named Major Marquis Warren, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson. Warren stops a stagecoach that's in the middle of travel through a desolate mountain pass just ahead of a major snowstorm that it's not going to outrun. On board that stagecoach is a fellow bounty hunter named John the Hangman Ruth, uh, played by Kurt Russell, who, unlike Marquis, takes his dead or alive bounties in while they're still breathing, so they will be hanged at the public square, hence his nickname of the Hangman. The other passenger that he is escorting for that hanging is one of those bounties uh, that he's taking to Red Rock, uh, a racist spitfire named Dazer, uh, excuse me, Daisy Domergue. A little further on during their travels, after they take uh, Major Warren on board, uh, the trio reluctantly pick up another passenger, uh, this one named Chris Mannix. Uh, of course, Mannix is another one of uh, Tarantino's homage. Uh, there was a TV show called Mannix in the 70s. Um, now, Mannix claims that he's set to become the new sheriff of Red Rock upon his arrival, and they should take him on board because they're going to collect their rewards for their bounties from him, and they need him there if they're going to get paid. Now, this quartet now, along with a stagecoach driver named O.B., are forced to shelter from the blizzard at a secluded tavern called Minnie's Haberdashery. It's there that they meet a new collection of interesting people. There's a uh, a Mexican named Bob who's tending to the needs of the place while Minnie, the, uh, the, the proprietor, is away. There's a former Confederate general named Sandy Smithers who is played by uh, Bruce Dern. Um, there's a drifter named Joe Gage, who's played by uh, Michael Madsen. He, Gage says he's there to visit his mother for the holidays, and he's not actually believed. Uh, Oswaldo Mowbray, uh, played by Tim Roth, he's a, uh, a British man claiming to be the hangman who is also traveling to Red Rock to put a noose on Daisy Domergue, so he needs to get there. And... Ruth, uh, the uh, Kurt Russell character, begins to become convinced that one or perhaps more of the, the men in this group is actually there 
waiting for a chance to spring Daisy and help her escape, uh, which, if true, means that there's going to be a violent confrontation about to go down at the haberdashery if that person or persons are not rooted out before the plan is hatched. So that's the premise of the movie. Um, but one, one kind of the background of the movie, Tarantino's love of film is, was well known. And, you know, he, he definitely is a student of cinema. A lot of that is, he's very film literate. And a lot of that is, comes through in every one of his movies. Um, some people claim that he cribs too much. Some people love the homage and, and that makes them better films for film buffs. Um, you know, it, it can cut either way depending on what you feel about Tarantino in general. Um, now that love of film prompted Tarantino to shoot the hateful eight using older camera equipment, like actual camera equipment that was used many years ago. And he, uh, for it to be shown, uh, it's actually shown a week early in a limited selection of theaters on 70 millimeter film stock using the, uh, a process called super Panavision 70. And this is the first film in nearly 50 years to be uh, shot in Super Panavision 70. Uh, I think 1966 was the last year that this was done. So uh, we're, we're fast approaching the 50th anniversary of the last time that this process was used. We have that uh, aforementioned introductory overture. We have the intermission and in, uh, just past the midway point of the film. Um, the film is uh, shot uh, beautifully, really by uh, the director of photography, Robert Richardson. I think he's won Academy Awards for uh, for cinematography about three times already in his career. Um, certainly, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another nomination here. Now, in keeping with the old-school Western homage, uh, Tarantino also enlists the services of his favorite composer, Ennio Morricone. Uh, Morricone's works have been recycled in, I think, the last four, at least, uh, Tarantino films. Um, and he gets Morricone's services for this phenomenal original score that is used here, uh, his first for a Western in like 40 years or something like that. Um, and it's famously Ennio Morricone said he would never work with Tarantino after hearing what he did, uh, using his score in, um, I think in Glorious Bastards and, um, yeah, but he, 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 Tarantino actually managed to convince him anyway to do the score for this film. Um, in addition to the original music, the uh, Hateful Eight actually also combines three tracks that were, went on to be unused that Morricone had originally composed when he did the score for 1982's The Thing. And, uh, and I, I think the score, out of all, of all of the elements, and there are some strong elements to The Hateful Eight, my favorite thing about the film overall is that Morricone score. Now, interestingly, despite the film stock and the widescreen pedigree, you know, this is probably the least cinematic <laughs> of Tarantino's films from a visual standpoint, from its locales and its scenery, because most of the film is actually set in one location, like within the interior of a cabin. And so that makes it feel like the most small scale film ever to be used in this Panavision process that I can think of. Um, and probably the least cinematic, you know, the most contained film in Quentin Tar Tarantino's career since perhaps his first directorial effort, Reservoir Dogs. So in fact, I, if you look at the, if you actually were to read the, the screenplay, it wouldn't take much changes to that screenplay to make it uh, actually a script for a one set stage play. 
Now, does it need to be nearly three hours in length, or if you watch the film uh, in its 70 millimeter format, over three hours in length? Uh, I would say not at all. Uh, this film could have easily been two hours if, if without really sacrificing much. There's a lot of scenes in there that go on a little bit long, um, scenes that are drawn out. But obviously, Tarantino fans don't mind. They, they, you know, most Tarantino fans just love his work. They probably think they should, he should make longer films, for all I know. But, um, you know, considering he's planning on only making ten films or something like that in his career, I don't know if he'll actually hold to that. But um, now, once one might suspect that Tarantino. By making his film about three three hours long, is it, I think that he's probably intentionally padding things out in order to get that ultra cool intermission for the real change. You know, like, like kind of like those old time cinema theaters used to do when they had their projectors that handled seventy millimeter re- reels. You know, we, you had an intermission where people could stretch their legs and whatnot. And in, in those days, obviously, there were. Uh, it, you know, nowadays you just see, you know, maybe five or so trailers before the film and then you watch the movie and then you leave. So there's really, you know, back in the days they probably had, you know, double features and they had, uh, other, uh, shorts and, and different things that they played before the film. So, um, sitting there was a, it was pretty long. <laughs> it was like almost an all the event for some people. Um, so I, I think that intermissions are, are antiquated by today's standards. Certainly, uh, intermissions are definitely antiquated for people who watch films um, when they finally come to either streaming or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, um, because you can stop that at any moment. Now, the reasons that The Hateful Eight, I feel, is a lesser of Tarantino's works is, I, I believe, primarily because uh, it's of its script. And it's not that Quentin Tarantino can't write. Obviously, his, the way that he writes, especially in his dialogue, is very much uh, a strength. So I'm not going to attack him for that. But I think that in this, in the case of the Hateful Eight, every bit of dialogue feels like typical Tarantino, and so it's hard not to hear his voice in your head, despite those words being spoken by the group of very capable character actors that are on the screen. And I think that part of that is because, you know, somebody with the the name and esteem and and ego, I guess, of Quentin Tarantino as a screenwriter, if you're an actor in a Tarantino film, you're probably not going to change or improvise or do anything to the dialogue to try to make it work for you, uh, even if it doesn't suit you. And that, because the actors are not going to make any changes to Tarantino's dialogue because of his reputation um, and and all of the, you know, that 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 entails, it does tend to make some scene, scenes seem artificial because I think that the actors don't aren't always a natural fit for this dialogue. You know, Quentin Tarantino's voice is actually literally in the film, too. Uh, there's a scene, or there's one sequence in this movie where he actually uh, narrates the film. Uh, you don't see him, but you hear his voice. Um, and so <laughs> um, so in addition to his literal voice, we get his voice all over this film. Um, the, the actors do their best, that the, the best that they can, but it, it is very much uh, a, a movie that needed to be a little bit molded for the specific actors that are in the film. I think it, the most egregious case is of Tim Roth, uh, Tim Roth plays this um, British hangman character that 
in particular feels like a Tarantino archetype. He's used this archetype in his last two movies um, at, for Christoph Waltz. Um, Christoph, Christoph Waltz obviously uh, would go on to get two Academy Awards uh, for his work in Django Unchained as well as in Glorious Bastards, basically playing this role that Tim Roth is playing here. I don't have any evidence of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if this character at the time that Tarantino wrote it had, I bet he had Christoph Waltz in mind for this because uh, even though he has a British accent in this film, obviously Tim Roth is a British actor, but uh, instead of a, an Austrian actor like Christoph Waltz, um, that character is is perfect for Waltz. Now, Waltz, who seems to fit Tarantino's wordy, monologue-heavy style, um, fits it like hand in glove and probably would have knocked that character out of the park. But, you know, Roth, he's a different actor. He's he's a good actor, but he with that character, I think he doesn't knock it out of the park. He hits like a bloop single. You know, he does okay, but uh, Waltz would have been uh, the perfect choice. Uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Uh, gives the closest thing to a standout performance in a supporting role. I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't get, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets a nomination for uh, an Academy Award for a supporting role here. Um, I think it, it's not that it's the best uh, performance of her career, but it's definitely the best she's given in a long time in a film. Um, and I think that the reason why she might get nominated is mostly for how willing she is to get sullied and dirtied and mistreated while never losing her character's impish spirit for caustic behavior. It's it's definitely the more, it's the biggest standout of the movie. As you would expect um, from a Tarantino film, The Hateful Eight is an ultra-violent, grindhouse-worthy work. But it's so far over the top in its viscera than most non-horror flicks uh, of its ilk. It's taken to nearly absurd levels when wounds burst with blood with the consistency of like high C fruit punch. Uh, and it takes, you know, you, you, you've seen, you know, blood gushing from wounds before. If you've ever seen the wild punch, that Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, it definitely was violent and bloody in a way that no other Western had been before. But Tarantino here really takes it to extreme proportions. Um, also, the use of the N-word and the B-word is not surprising in a Tarantino film. There are a few other epithets here. Oh, the, the use here is very liberal. And I I do think that I don't, you know, I, I, I've gotten used to Tarantino's use of these words in his film. And usually they're fine, you know, because I you believe that Tarantino um, is not really a racist or a sexist, generally speaking, but his films certainly can, if you were to just judge him based on the films, you would think, um, that, you know, racism and sexism, sexism and the politics that they inspire are definitely part of that. I think people criticize him for, um, using those words. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're a white man, uh, you're going to, <laughs> people are going to say you, you're not allowed to use these words. So, um, I think they're overused to tasteless effect here, even by Tarantino standards. Um, I think that you can use those words if you have characters that are meant to use those words. Um, and uh, Tarantino would definitely uh, tell you that he writes his characters uh, and how they speak based on those characters and not based on how he would talk. So, um, but in, in here, I think it's a little... <laughs> I think he, he's relying on them as a crutch. Now, more than any other film in Tarantino's oeuvre, 
The Hateful Eight finds him at his most gleefully indulgent in terms of envelope-pushing carnage. There are gratuitous racial slurs. There's torture, as you would expect. Every Tarantino film has torture in it. There's a, a rape scene of a sort, uh, that this forced sexual act uh, that is shown in this film that is particularly uh, uh, troubling. It may or may not. I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, it, if it's supposed to happen or not. Certainly, it didn't need to be shown, but it's it's shown in this film. And there's this rampant misogyny because Jennifer Jason Lee's character is punched and kicked and brutalized throughout this film. Um, and it judging him by this movie, it's almost as if Tarantino said. Uh, and listen to all of these critics and people who deride him, uh, all of those who criticize his excess in all of these regards from the racial slurs and all of the, the ultra violence and, and all of that. It's as almost as if he said, all right, you whiny critics, I'll give you something to really stew over. And he just cranked it, you know, one more level above what it, he's done before, almost as a, a an F you to, to everybody. Um, whether he intended that or not, I don't know. Uh, I I hope that this isn't uh, that each successive film from now on is not just going to hit be him trying to ratchet it up even more, because I do think that it tends to. Uh, I think he he he's getting to the point where it's hard to take his film very seriously anymore. Um, now, obviously, a lot of people are going to say the Hateful Eight is meant for purely for entertainment. He's not trying to make any wild statements or political stances here, but. Um, for, for me, uh, sometimes you can go too far to the point where, uh, it becomes very nihilistic and it, it loses all meaning for me, uh, as somebody who's trying to invest myself in the characters and their plights when the filmmaker seems to be not taking it at all seriously and just trying to ratchet up sensationalism. Um, I, I, you would expect that a film called the hateful eight is going to be, you know, going to show hateful depictions in the movie. So certainly I, you know, I guess some people might give it a pass for that. Uh, it's obviously deliberately hateful. And I think that that aspect of it may divide viewers' feelings on how to take the repugnant excesses of the movie. Tarantino was able to get away with it in the past because he had unsympathetic, unsympathetic villains to skewer in films like Inglorious Bastards. You had Nazis and in Django and Chain, you had slave owners. Very few people, if any, really sympathize with those people. Um, but outside of the, of the, uh, perhaps the Confederate general played by Bruce Dern in this film, um, supposedly he killed black people uh, in battle because just because he could during the war, uh, not because he, he, he could, he had the chance to uh, keeping them alive, but he ends up killing them. So outside of that character, I think we get no real backstory for most of these characters to suggest that they actually deserve what's coming to them. Um, for the most part, a lot of them are desperados and bandits and, and whatnot. They probably do have, you know, whatever they, they get deserving, uh, of what's coming to them, but we don't know this. So Tarantino, is basking in the ultraviolence, seemingly for bloody ultraviolence's sake, and he's pinned us as the spectator to all of this in a position as viewers that I, I think he makes the assumption that anybody who comes to see his films do so because we love to watch people uh, force sexual acts from desperate and dying men. We like to see vomiting of blood in each other's faces and human heads and probably exploding from gunshots. Uh, I think that what happens is, I think people, when they see uh, somebody push the envelope of taste, 
you know, and, and watch things that they probably have never seen in films before, uh, you know, really gross things or really sensational things, we elicit a, a nervous laughter. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino himself probably finds it very funny because, he, you know, these movies are meant to be entertaining. So taking them seriously is something that he probably would never do. And he feels that a lot of the audience for his films certainly are on his wavelength. But I think that not everybody it will be, so that's why I do feel that it's going to be divisive in that regard, because I think a lot of people, you know, watch these things and they're just wondering why, instead of being as entertained on it as Tarantino is, uh, they're just going to be mystified as to what they're watching anymore. So I would say, if I were to t- talk to Quentin Tarantino about this, I would say, sorry, Quentin, not everybody <laughs> gets the same uh, erection for sensationalistic, cartoonish sadism and pornographic displays of of desperate men and and or and a woman, I guess, uh, but- butchering one another into splatterings of blood and smoking lumps of meat. You know, I wonder if you remove the n words from this film, and if you tone down the levels of violence to traditional levels to like i mean basically to show people getting shot but not to such an extent that it's just meant to just kind of titillate you or gross you out or whatever it happens to do i would think that all but the most unapologetic of tarantino fans who some pe- people might even accuse of being his enablers i think that most people would see that underneath the button pushing, the envelope pushing, and the wanted need for titillation, that The Hateful Eight might actually be one of his least inspired works. Now, I say that with the knowledge that even when Quentin Tarantino is only half inspired as he has been in the past, you know, I consider his most inspired film Pulp Fiction. If this is only half of that, That means he's still more inspired than most filmmakers on their best days, which is why I find myself ambivalent when he makes a pretty good movie instead of a great one, and why it sounds like I'm giving a negative review when I'm actually going to give it a positive one. So that is also why I believe The Hateful Eight still, despite all of these things that I've just said kind of against it, I still think that it is still worth watching despite being everything that QT's detractors are hateful toward him for. So the question is, what am I going to rate this film on a four star scale? Throughout the film, I wavered between three and three and a half. Every time I I felt like it was starting to hit its groove, I felt like Tarantino kind of took stumbled back. And he did this throughout the film. Every time it, it feels like it's going to go somewhere, something happens and, and then I, it, it kind of loses me for a while. And with a, you know, nearly three hour long rambling film like this, it, it starts to, that cyclic, that cyclical nature of that, that wavering, that kind of unevenness is the suggestion to me that it should be a three star movie, despite some really strong moments and some good performances here. Um, I think technically, technically that Tarantino is good, is good. The filmmaking is actually good. I think his excesses are what ultimately undo him in almost every one of his films. They're all probably overlong. They're probably all over talky. They're probably, uh, all, they all, all these films contain scenes that probably should have just been, um, uh, 
like deleted scenes on a DVD or Blu-ray. Um, you know, he, he definitely is not making tight movies. Obviously, you know, he does have his fans who are willing to basically see everything he does as genius and they're willing to allow all of these indulgences. Certainly, I would much rather see a filmmaker take chances and actually give me a, a sprawling work like The Hateful Eight, one that probably should be tightened up and could be, but I would rather him have excess to, to not give enough into his films to just kind of try to placate uh, a commercial a commercial vehicle out of it. So I applaud him on one side, but on the other side, I realize that for all of the things you love from Quentin Tarantino, you have to also accept the excesses, the excessive qualities of it. So in that way, I guess he's he's a lot like Stephen King or any other like work uh, or, or genius that kind of uh, is able to be very uh, prolific when he actually does decide to make something and people just accept it for what it is. So, but still, despite that, I'm going to give this film only three stars out of four, um, which is a recommendation, but recommendation with reservations. I would strongly recommend it to people who love all of Quentin Tarantino's films before. I think that you're, those people are probably going to love this one too. I think that if you waver on Quentin Tarantino's works like I do, you know, I'm all up and down. If you if you actually go to my website, you can see all of the reviews that I've given to all of Quentin Tarantino's films. You know, I you know, anywhere, you know, Pulp Fiction is the the top rated one, you know, I gave that one uh the almost my highest rating. That's almost a masterpiece in my in my mind. Um all the way down to, you know, Kill Bill Volume 2 is probably my least favorite of his works. Um but it's all over the place and um, I think I've reviewed every one of them, but uh, Inglorious Bastards, with that, which I've seen, for some reason I haven't reviewed. I actually should go back and do that. But I'm going to say that this is a three-star film. Uh, three stars meaning I recommend it with reservations. I'd say that you probably have to really like Quentin Tarantino to really be on board with this film. If, if you hate his work, his works in the past, this is not going to be the film that turns you around. This is the most, this is Quentin Tarantino at his most indulgent. Uh, so everything that you despised about Tarantino probably is in here uh, more than you've experienced. <laughs> this is a very Tarantino ish work. So the, I guess kind of the irony of doing this review is I already, I'm looking at my recording here and I already see that this review is over 30 minutes long already. And so I, I think that that's probably fitting <laughs> considering how overlong Tarantino's film was uh, that I would do an overlong film review for The Hateful Eight. So uh, anyway, maybe it's getting to the point where I should just throw on an intermission um, <laughs> at some point in the middle of this, but... But I do thank you for actually listening to it if you've made it this far. And if you've made it this far, I would hope that you uh, like this show enough to click the subscribe button because I continue to deliver all of these reviews mostly on a daily basis. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. You can go to iTunes and uh, and click the subscribe button. You'll continue to get it or, or wherever you download your podcast, whether it's Stitcher or someplace else. Um uh, uh, definitely you want to subscribe if you want to hear m me do more re reviews in the future. Also, um, if you happen to be on iTunes, I definitely encourage you to leave a review on that site because every review helps me out a great deal. Um, so if you happen to be there, um, just take a moment, take a second to, to give a five-star review if you'd like to show. Um, you can even say a few words and um, I'll, I'll read it here on one of my future episodes if you do. 
the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Also, if you want to write to me, if you have anything you want to say to me, if you want to shake your fist at me uh, metaphorically, or if you just want to pat me on the back, you can do so by going to my website, quipster.net, and there is my contact information there, as well as the links to my Twitter feed and my Facebook page in case you want to leave any notes for me there, there too. Quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, I promise you, uh, this is probably my longest review. Uh, I will not make, I will not make one as long as this one probably ever again. Uh, but don't hold me to that. But until next time, thank you everyone for listening. And I hope that you enjoy your time at the movies. And if you don't go, go see, uh, The Hateful Eight, I definitely would be interested in hearing what you have to say because I do want to, uh, to keep some things in mind. I, I like to get other people's reactions, especially for a film in which I'm completely conflicted about it. Uh, I, I definitely want to know what other people come away with because I want to be able to understand what somebody either loved about it or loathed about it because I'm kind of in the middle on this. I'm, 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 I'm torn apart inside by it. So anyway, thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk again.